Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Stephen Conklin and Maitre D Valerio Lombardozzi from Latab coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a frequent traveler and a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Happy New Year. Yeah. Are, have we? Has that expired? No. Clearly. I mean, it's your it's your first appearance on the show this year. So, new oh. New Year, new me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, Matt, let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Buff Burger has closed two of its locations, the one in Montrose and the one in West Chase. Both of those outposts opened in 2018, Montrose back in uh, March, and then West Chase at the very end of the year. This is, this is our neighborhood. The, the Montrose location is, is very close to where you and I live. Were you a were you a Buff Burger fan? Are you surprised by this news? What do you, what do you think? Um, you know, s- sort of split thoughts. Um, I can't say that I'm necessarily surprised. Um, having the uh, just living very close to that location and and passing by and just not really seeing the types of crowds that I would think would. You need to sustain a right. burger Compa- business compared to say the burger joint, which frequently has a line out the door and and a full patio. Buff Burger never never appeared as to be as crowded. Right, right, and and I and yeah, a little little different. I, I think they it seemed like their tar- target audience may have been a little bit different, and um, uh, I guess the other the other half of me says. You know, my favorite thing on the menu was the chicken sandwich, and that's not always great for a burger place. Yeah, I, I have that. that I'm with you in the sense that I, I really do like their chicken sandwich, maybe even a little better than their burgers. Uh, the the other burger place where I feel that way is Southland, uh, South no Wells. South Wells. Thank you. Excuse me, where they have that uh, the Larry special with the pickled jalapenos on it. Right. That's a, that's a truly great chicken sandwich. Uh, and their burger's just okay. But neither here nor there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I like about Buff Burger. I had it 84 on my list of Houston's top 100 restaurants, 44 Farms Beef, a lot of local sourcing. I know they had Pure Luck uh, pure luck Dairy Goat Cheese, for example. Uh, they were making their own ice cream for their milkshakes, at least for a little while. They were uh, they were either working on or or they were either having their buns made to spec or they were they were baking them somewhere, so you know I just they had a, a an, a they had a commitment to quality ingredients and local sourcing that I thought was really admirable. Uh, they make and they make uh, house made tater tots, which uh, you know you never go wrong with that in my book. No, I think I, I, I agree. I mean, a for effort, um, and uh, you know, sensitive to that. Uh, again, it's another reminder. The restaurant business is very difficult. Um, even when you try to do all the right things and maybe in you know good location and 
um, it, it, it doesn't work out. I, um, it, it, it did never catch for me as a place that I was as, as a go-to. Um, that doesn't mean anything beyond that. Um, right. You're entitled to your personal likes and dislikes. Sure. You, you have other burgers that you prefer. Sure. Well, they, they sent me a press release that they are, that the restaurant is reevaluating its long-term growth strategy and seeking new partners and opportunities and, and alluded to the fact that there's a lot of growth in West Houston. So, so let me ask you this. Do you think that the things that people like about Buff Burger will allow it to sort of reemerge maybe with new locations like out on the West side, Memorial, Katie, what have you? Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's the, uh, what I was trying to formulate in my mind was it, it felt like what they were trying to do was be a little more family oriented and that certainly plays better in in the, on the West side than in Montrose in, in my opinion. Sure. And then just one other, one other thought is that you know, Montrose is already a pretty crowded burger destination. I mean, if you think about the intersection of Montrose and Westheimer, you have the burger joint, you have Shake Shack, Hay Merchant makes a great burger. You're not far from Rudyard's. They make a good burger. And then we have, we have FM Kitchen coming uh, right next to where Velvet Taco is, where the East Hampton Sandwich Company closed. Do you, do you feel like Montrose can support all of these burger joints or, or do you feel like there's still going to be some, some shakeout? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to gonna go out on a limb here. I'm going to shake out. Shake out, yeah. I, I... Emphasis on shake. <laughs> you know, I went back to that Shake Shack uh, recently for lunch and I was reminded of how much I like that burger and how much better a Shake Shack, you know, a Shake Shack burger is probably is roughly twice as expensive as a fast food burger, you know, with, with the fries and stuff. It'll run you between 10 and 15 instead of, you know, seven or eight. Uh, but I, that's a premium I'm willing to pay. I think, I think it's, it's quality justifies it. I'm, I've always been a little bit surprised that that restaurant specifically isn't busier. Although, you know, when I happened to go, uh, the dining room had a good crowd in it, which was which has not been my experience in other visits. Yes, for full disclosure, that that's sort of the barometer I'm using for for my uh, hypothesis. Right. right. If 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 the Shake Shack isn't super busy, then you know it it does feel like maybe an independently owned, slightly quirky local burger joint like might struggle. Yes. All right. So we will wish the best of luck to Sarah and Paul quote buff burden, the owners of buff burger as they yeah. look to the future and, and the spring branch location is still open, which is their original, original outpost on Wart road. So um, uh, yeah, it's a I, restaurant I really like. So I, I do hope that they, they have a comeback. It, it's a difficult decision, you know, respect to them for for making a difficult decision and all the best moving forward absolutely all right topic number two bagel bob is back robert orzo who opened springwater cafe in the 
on the western edge of uh, the Memorial area, Derry Ashford and Memorial, basically. Um, closed that restaurant. He went to work for uh, B&B Butchers. But, but Bob is a native New Yorker who makes really delicious bagels and cheesecakes. He got some love from Culture Map and other places for his work at Springwater, but the location was problematic. Since then, he's been working at B&B Butchers, and he has signed a lease or is in the process of signing a lease to open Bagel Bob's NYTX, a new cafe devoted to New York-style street food, including bagels, cheesecakes, knishes. He didn't say hot dogs, but I'm going to guess hot dogs. Uh, Matt, let me, let me start. Have you, have you had a bagel Bob bagel before? I have to be honest. That's what you have me on for. It's it's why you're here. It's why I'm here. The answer is I have not. Alas. Well, I, I have, and you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, religiously, I'm not, uh, I'm not very in touch with the, the more traditional aspects of my Jewish upbringing. But I take the food pretty seriously, and I will tell you that Bagel Bob makes a, a solid bagel. And I had driven to Springwater Cafe back in the day to sample them and had been impressed by them. And so, you know, we're there's just not that many places to get a good bagel in this town. You know, I talk about, you know, kind of a, a big three, like from when I was growing up, uh, New York Bagel, now, now the bagel... Uh, the, the Bagel Bakery at Hillcroft near Brazewood, Hot Bagel on Shepherd, and Bagel Express out in Sugarland. This is the, uh, the restaurant that supplies Kenny and Ziggy's with its bagels. And then recently we've had Golden Bagel that's opened in the Heights a couple of years ago. And then uh, back in November, Jersey Bagel opened in Cyprus. And that's about it. Like, those are the bagel places that I'm aware of. So that's... You know, we're a city of however many millions of people. We have five decent bagel shops. That doesn't seem like enough to me. So add a sixth, at least, with Bagel Bob. And, uh, you know, he had a devoted following in the Memorial area, and I think that people will be pretty excited about this. Uh, no, I, I think so, um, For for mostly for the reasons that you say, and, and, and I feel incumbent to mention that uh, to reclaim my bagel street cred and say that I've had all the others. So you've been to bagel express. I have. Wow. Solid. Yes, respect. sir. Full respect to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I was, I was really questioning my entire existence <laughs> there for, for a few seconds, but that's, that's past. Um, so no, I, I, I'm, uh, um, I'm looking forward to it. So I, I do enjoy a good bagel. Yeah, and so Bob is trying to raise a little money. He's got a little crowdfunding campaign going on. You can find the details about that yeah. on Facebook. But he's promising if you he's he's looking to sell. He's looking to raise twenty five grand, five hundred dollars at a time. So if you are a bagel lover with five hundred dollars or more to lend, Bob Orzo as he tries to get his restaurant off the ground. That is an option to consider. Although, let me just say, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't pretend to advocate for these things. I, I merely, you know, what you do with your money is your business. I just make people aware that that is a possibility. For what them. I do with your money is my business. Absolutely. 
<laughs> All right. Topic number three. Treebeards, the downtown southern Creole restaurant, is moving beyond the central business district. They are coming to a mixed-use development currently under construction at Bunker Hill and I-10. They will also be home to the new Mazrafts and a Texadelphia. This is interesting for a few reasons. First of all, Treebeards is purely a... It, it's its locations are only in downtown Houston and only open for lunch. And all of them except one are only open Monday through Friday. So there's one of them that's the, the original location of Market Square. That's open Saturday for lunch. But even that is a relatively new phenomenon. So if you are not a downtown office worker, the odds of you ever having had tree beards are slim. But if you are a downtown office worker, at least in my, from my days as a downtown office worker, it is likely that Treebeards is in your regular rotation because its food is actually pretty tasty. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm dating myself. Uh, I was downtown pre 2000, much younger than I look. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was it, it, uh, Fridays, if memory serves, was was the day for Treebirds, particularly over at the the cloister there. You go down and and kind of cafeteria style. Well, sure. I mean, I worked uh, three stories underground in uh, Shell's litigation support department for a couple of summers, and so we would go from the former One Shell Plaza at nine hundred Louisiana to eleven hundred Louisiana, traveling through the tunnel system for. Treebeards for red beans and rice or shrimp etouffee and always, always the uh, classic yellow style diner cake with chocolate icing. But yeah, I think it's interesting that they're finally moving beyond downtown and they're going to be open for dinner, which they have never, ever been before. So, you know, I won't, I won't pretend to have a, a deep assessment of the various Cajun dining options near Bunker Hill and I-10, but more tree beards is a good thing, in my opinion. I like it. I seek it out every now and then. If, yeah, I'm, if I'm downtown for lunch, sure. it's, uh, especially that Market Square memories. location. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that, uh, that red beans and rice holds up. I, I agree. It, it's, it's been a few, but not that long. Um, so, it uh, and people still talking about it and it's a pretty good track record yeah no it's been around for 20 25 years they still and people still line up for it every day particularly for downtown right yeah downtown tough tough restaurant environment although you know it's a funny sort of thing because once you're once you're sort of established in the tunnel like you're good right. you know you 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 can build a devoted following and it, it's a it's an interesting environment for like a good lifestyle for a restaurant worker right it's it's monday through friday you get your evenings off you're done by three like you know so it's a big it's a big step for Treebeards actually to commit to to being open seven days lunch and dinner you know it'll it'll be a real change for them but uh i i will be curious to see how how they how they execute that and how people uh, embrace them yes and see good things on the horizon me too all right matt that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around 
You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk about two places, uh, one of which we've talked about before and one of which is new. Let us start with the new one, which is El Topo. This is the brick-and-mortar home of El Topo Truck, the farmer's market favorite from Chefs Tony Lerman and Mike Serva. It replaced Pizza Modus in the heart of West U. Matt, I, I know we, we haven't been together, but we've both been. So let me throw it to you. What do you think of El Topo in its new home? Fan. F-A-N. F-A-N. Capital, capital letters. T-A-S-T-I-C? T-A-S-T. Fantastic? Oh. Yes, big fan. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I was there yesterday. I was there Saturday, and I, you know, it's nice to see the favorites from the truck. the The Houston taco with the forty four farms barbacoa, the the gringo breakfast taco with the eggs, you know, the Austin taco, which is usually cauliflower or some other, you know, roasted root vegetable. But I think what I'm most impressed by is the way that they've expanded the menu. They have an extensive pastry program that they never, you know, you doesn't wouldn't really make sense on the truck, but I had both uh, a croissant and a morning bun. That the, the morning bun had this like yuzu sugary glaze thing on it that was, you know, tart and sweet and very delicious. Uh, the croissant was dense. It didn't have like that shattery crust, but I talked to Tony about it after I ate it and he said, well, they're going to make, they're going to make sandwiches with it. So it's got to be a little thicker, a little hardier to hold up to whatever it is he's going to pile on it. And they had that Basque, they had their version of that Basque style cheesecake that's been such a hit at Rosie Cannonball that I did not have, but I will go back to try. I also had the sweet grits with uh, like strawberry jam and something else. And then, uh, oh, and they gave me some guacamole. They They had made an order of guacamole to take a picture for Instagram and Nobody, nobody else was available to eat it, so I, I stepped in and, and had some guacamole with the, uh, their scratch-made corn tortillas, which are, in my opinion, among the, the best tortillas being made in Houston right now. You're a professional, Daddy. Well, you go to Mexico all the time. What do you think of their tortillas? Uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, really pull the honesty card here today. Uh, I, didn't ha- I haven't had the tortillas yet. I saw them yesterday. We got pastries. Um, which were absolutely delicious. Um, yeah. What so, else have you? What else have you had on the the menu? What have you liked? Uh, had uh, a a cinnamon roll that was literally as fresh as fresh can be. They just glazed them and set them down on the table. Just terrific. Just. Did you have the patty melt? Uh, I did not have the patty melt. Uh, yesterday, I, I have had the patty melt before. I, I like it's their their custom burger grind. They're making the bread for the bun, you know. Yep, it's a uh, it's a very tasty sandwich. Yep, burger. Yep, actually, my uh, my my uh, friend that uh, I was with had had that yesterday. He quite enjoyed it. Very so. good. But yeah, I mean the space is is it just is. It's it's cute. It's charming. It's very comfortable. Charming, comfortable. Good words. Uh, cute may not be the word I would choose, but it, 
who am I to disagree? Um, I just they did a really good job, and I think that uh, their um, their arrow is pointed up, and it's been really well received already. Yeah, I mean, I've had an agua fresca there that I liked. Yeah. I had a they they're making their own kombucha, which I think is kind of cool. Um, they have some Japanese sodas. Yeah, and a, a smart, like, well priced selection of natural wine. That's super trendy. Good coffee. They have my uh, and they have one of my all time favorite beers on. They have are available in bottle uh, Brooklyn Sriracha Ace, which goes great with like any kind of spicy food. Like, okay, uh, it's a it's a it's a BYOB go-to at a place like uh, Himalaya. Nice. So, yeah. Also making a, uh, their own butter. Yeah. And jam. Like and I had that came with the croissant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then they haven't rolled out dinner service yet, but that is coming soon. And, it is. Uh, honestly, I can't. Very soon. I'm, I'm excited. I, yeah. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out or, or maybe the week after. But uh, yeah, follow them on follow them on social media for for those details. But I look forward to dinner there because I've I've been really smitten with the uh, breakfast and lunch offerings. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what the uh, what the crew in the kitchen's going to do because I think it's going to be fun and had the chance to talk with Tony and a little bit and really excited to see where they go. Yeah, and then I also want to talk about Garden Grace, the downtown steakhouse. You and I got a little preview, uh, a private tasting empty restaurant, which is never my preferred way to get a sense of a place, but sometimes it's, sometimes it's necessary or at least instructive. So you and I went back with uh, two of our friends, Michael and Nathan, for a real dinner that included a, what, like a 44-ounce bone-in tomahawk ribeye. I I would say, I, I would say we had a pretty good meal at Garden Grace. What do you think? No, I think that's I, I think that's right. That that's I would say that as well. You and I both like steakhouses. Where does it where does it rank for you in terms of kind of the upper tier, middle pack? Like, what do you, what do you think of what what Garden Grace is doing? How how does it how does it set itself apart? Um, it it. Uh, probably deserves a few more visits but um let's say parenthetically at this point it's in the upper tier see i i don't know if i'm quite there i mean i have been so in the last since thanksgiving i have been to both george james and doris metropolitan right i i think i prefer both of those restaurants to garden grace at least so far you know, physically they're a little smaller. Menus are a little bit more personal, maybe a little more idiosyncratic. You know that there's that that I think I would I would rank Garden Grace ahead of national chains, right? Like I would go to Garden Grace ahead of say Steak Forty Eight or Del Frisco's. But if I'm looking at kind of the the best of the local options. Uh, Vic and Anthony's, which I know is part of Landry's, but has always kind of done its own thing. Pappas Brothers, B&B Butchers. It's, it's maybe just below them for me, at least at this point. So it's, uh, well, right. I mean, and, it, and, and I don't, and I, and I don't really know what, like, 
I would say that everything we ate was cooked well, seasoned properly. It's a beautiful dining room, but there's just something about it that that's just a little bit short for me. And and I that's I know that is not a helpful uh, commentary from a critical perspective from a from a food writer to a potential diner, but there's just I don't know. Do you do you share that impression or or am I kind of out on my own here? Well, it's uh, probably um, probably both. Um, I think uh, you know. For example, the the presentation with the uh, tomahawk ribeyes, it, it comes out. It's beautiful and uh, it it's it's cooked to medium rare, and then they take it back and then they you right know, they present it to you this massive hunk of of beef on a on a board and it's right. it's spectacular, and then they take it back to the kitchen and slice it, which is convenient. Sure. But it took 10 minutes. It took 10 minutes, and then it's not really on temp, and, and the flavor was there. Uh, and so I, a, a little bit of those issues, I think, just get worked out by, by process. Um, you know, that's uh, – and it wasn't bad. Um, right. Uh, I also – there are a few things that, that uh, I particularly like, the way the menu sets up. Uh, it reads really well for me. I feel like I can go in and, you know, they have four ounce and eight ounce options. Uh, it's, it's reasonable. I've, uh, I've been right. price wise. It, it, it compares with all of its peers. I mean, it's yes. So, um, good, good variety on the, on the menu. They've got fish options, chicken. Yeah. They do some chop. cool raw preparations. Yeah. They do the, you know, they do a little bit of sashimi style stuff. They do, uh, they have hand rolls, you know, it's all, it's all kind of interesting. I, I will say they did, they did make a change recently, both the executive chef and the general manager, uh, that opened the restaurant are no longer there. Uh, I talked to Troy Gard about it. He essentially said that they just didn't feel like those two men were performing to expectations. And so, you know, they made it, they made a change. They're interviewing for their replacement. So in, in some ways, and, and I think that like that 10 minutes to slice that steak is like a very small symptom of maybe some larger problems. And so it's nice to see Troy Gard, who's been, a, who's been a guest on the show and worked really hard to kind of introduce himself to Houston being decisive and, and spending, he said he's, he's here three or four days a week. Uh, keeping the train moving, keeping things moving forward at Garden Grace, and so, you know, I, I, I want, I want it to be successful. I, I mean, I, I've met Troy a few times. I've spoken to him pretty extensively. I, I understand that he's coming to Houston with good intentions and wants to deliver a good experience to people. So, you know, no, I, making making those changes, I think, is a is a positive step towards getting it to where it needs to be. Well, and I think that's that's sort of uh, why. I, I placed it there parenthetically uh, because I, I feel like the the nuts and bolts are there to to be in that conversation with the upper tier steak places, um, and the the part of what's animating that is is when um, we we did have the uh, the private tasting, just listening to the culture and the the belief of what hospitality should be really stayed with me. And so, um, I think, uh, 
um, that some of these processings will will get worked out, and that the restaurant is it, the space is just fantastic. Right. I mean, truly one of the the prettiest dining rooms to open in Houston in the last. It's gorgeous. Year or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so you know, a lot to like, but just kind of just needs a, needs some tweaks to kind sure. of be all that it can be. And again, that's that's the restaurant business. Right. All right. Matt, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And I'll be right back with Stephen Conklin and Valerio Lombardozzi. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by the executive chef and general manager from Latab, a very lovely fine dining restaurant in the Galleria. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so that people can hear your voices. Stephen Conklin, you're the executive chef. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Valerio Lombardozzi, you are the general manager and maitre d'. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. You know, I always like to start these interviews kind of at, at the beginning. So, Valerio, let me start with you. How did you become interested in the restaurant business? Well, I was uh, nine years old. My parents uh, completed the opposite job than mine. My grandparents, they had uh, for 55 years a uh, restaurant in Rome and a uh, coffee bar. Simple, simple family. And uh, 14 years old, uh, you know, my grandfather, I remember he told me, it's moment, it's time for you to move on out from uh, the family restaurant and you have to go to the hotel school. And I said, no, but I want to take, uh, you know, I want to take over your restaurant. He said, no, it's time for you to go to hotel school and learn uh, the next step of uh, this uh, hospitality business. So that was my first approach in. Uh, so, at, so at 14, you started studying. <laughs> well, nine, I start after school uh, to go and help my grandparents. Okay. And uh, bring, uh, you know, bread and uh, wine, uh, house wine to the table. And then the cappuccino was, uh, my grandfather used to flip uh, this uh, Coca-Cola rack upside down to let me reach the coffee machine. And then after that, at 14, I started the hotel school. Stephen, how about you? When did you, when did you first get interested in the business? <clears throat> yeah, I was probably 12 or 13, and uh, I, was, I was at a party, a family party, and there was a chef who was catering the party, and uh, I saw him working and whipping up all kinds of stuff in the kitchen, and I was pretty blown away by it. Um, so yeah, watching him peel vegetables, chop them up, cook. I didn't, I've never seen that before. I never watched Food Network or anything like that. So I was like, okay, I think that's what I want to do, honestly. And I just stuck with it. And then did you go to culinary school somewhere? <clears throat> yeah, I went to culinary school in New York, uh, Institute of Culinary Education. And then Valerio, how did you make your way to Houston? Well, from, from Rome to Houston. Yeah. So after uh, traveling around uh, Europe with, uh, Alan Ducasse and, um, uh, uh, Giorgio Locatelli in uh, London. I came back to Rome and uh, one year later I was in Rome. I met my lovely wife, which originally she's from uh, Sicily, but uh, she was uh, living here in Houston. And uh, of all the women in Rome, I met the one that she was around the <laughs> in the <laughs> other side of the ocean. And uh, a year and a half later, after, uh, you know, after we, we did the back and forth, I moved to Houston uh, permanently. I started to work uh, the fourth season because it was uh, the most well-known brand coming from uh, Italy or sure. from Europe. And then uh, one year and a half uh, after I was at the fourth season, uh, Alex uh, Gaudelet 
which was uh, the founder of uh, Invest Hospitality of La Table. He contacted me and uh, he was uh, interested to work with me. And uh, back there, I was almost to open my own place in uh, Houston. I was doing a private dinner in a private house and uh, nothing. He convinced me and uh, I loved the concept where uh, the direction of uh, the new La Table was going, this uh, new restaurant, and uh, I enjoyed the team. I Great. start as a maitre d' with uh, the company and now I keep love the restaurant and uh, try to do my best to make the restaurant successful with my team. And then, Stephen, how about you? Because you came to us from Vegas, I think. Is that is that correct? No, I moved here from New York. Okay. So wh- where were you working in New York before? Because you've been at, you were at Latav, went away for a little while, and then you came back. So where yeah. were you working before you came to Houston for the first time? So before Latav in 2017, I was working at Lincoln Restaurant. And then after Latav, I went back to Lincoln Restaurant. And then I came back here again. All right. So, so it was pretty simple. <laughs> Are you here for good? Yes, sir. I'm here. What, what is it that brought you back to Houston? Well, the first time I came was probably, that was the influence. I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't do any research. I came here on a moment's notice, just made the decision with my wife, um, and then I, I really liked it. So when we went back to New York, I, you know, I realized that I liked Houston better than New York at this age and that I was looking for an opportunity to come back. And that opportunity presented itself about a year later. And I said, okay, let's do it. So Invest Hospitality is the sort of the management firm that oversees Latab. They also uh, manage all of Joel Rubichon's American restaurants. What is it like kind of working with a company that has, I mean, such high standards, such a, a, a real fine dining pedigree? Uh, for me, it's really awesome. Um, I worked with some of the chefs in the company before. Um, as well. So I'm familiar with the people that work in the company and the chefs in the company already. So it's nothing new standard wise. It's the same standards that I've been doing, but it's also um, pretty cutting edge to continue these standards in every opening that you do in you know 2020 to keep opening restaurants with high standards. I feel like that's rare and uh, that's what I want to keep doing. So just lucky really. Yeah. So how do those standards manifest themselves? Like, what will diners experience that, at Latab that's maybe a little bit different than they might at, at a at a different style of restaurant? Well, is this for Valerio or for myself? This well, I, I thought I'd start with you, and then I okay. want to talk about I want to talk about the service because that's such a big part of the experience. Yeah, for my end, I mean, it's when you work for restaurant companies, it's obvious which restaurant companies want to support the team with the resources to make sure that no matter what, the resources are provided, so you can provide everything you can for the guest. And obviously hiring the best people you can that understand that the guest comes first. Not every restaurant group is willing to really commit to that. So that's what we commit to. And it's just fluid throughout the whole company. And that's how it trickles down into the restaurant. When you have the resources, you have the team, and you know that the goal is 100% satisfy the guest, then there, you don't take any compromises. And you know that your team's going to support you and the company's going to support you. So that's how it, you know that's how it works, really. <laughs> Valerio, let me let me ask you about your role in this because it's a it's a it's a very specific style of service. You're you're never going to get the, you know, you're never going to get the person who like walks up to your table and is like, "Oh, hi, I'm Eric. I'll be serving you tonight." Right? You're it's 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 a little more refined than that. So yeah, just talk to me a little bit about kind of 
how you consider the service and, and how you would sort of define like what people can expect when they go to Latab? Well, starting from the beginning, I will say it's a working process service of improvement uh, in a daily basis in communication with each other. I really believe and uh, I challenge myself on that from when I move uh, to Houston, starting, uh, let's say, without considering the fourth season, which was a very short step of my experience. But La Table was uh, very challenging because uh, coming from the approach of uh, service in fine dining from uh, Europe to the timing uh, faster here in the uh, United States, especially in uh, Houston, um, is really every day a work in progress. Right now, I will say the experience of the guests, the attention, the details is what I focus on. Um, let the guests come to the restaurant and uh, from the moment when they arrive, we try to do our best to accomplish a wonderful experience of the guests. Right. I mean, you you mentioned time as, as one of the things, right? So in Europe, the, the expectation is that dinner might take three or four hours. Well, that is where uh, we are working uh, in improvement. Reason why is you cannot be too much European style in uh, experience, right? So, but you have to also execute in a perfect way the items and the ingredients in the kitchen. So we're trying to be more approachable and let understand our guests. We, yes, believe in a great service, but also we are trying to be more approachable and more fun with the guests to don't make everybody feel intimidated to come to La Table. La Table is not just about perfect service, but it's also about an experience which can be made in a friendly way with a guest who want to be friendly and more... Um, formal? Formal with guests who expect that style of service. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that makes dining there sort of fun and interactive is you have, you know, you have your different carts, right? You have a, you have a martini cart for, for cocktails to start the meal. You, you roll out <laughs> table side carts to, you know, for example, there's the, the chicken for two or the rack of lamb or the, uh, the Dover sole that's filleted table side. Is that, well, let me, let me ask you a, a simple question to start. How did you learn to do all that? Well, that is a great question. Um, I always, the first time when I, I had this uh, mentor, Maitre D, from uh, Italy, old school, uh, 65 years old, and uh, I was so uh, fascinated to uh, see him do all this um, carving at table site. So I, had, I was lucky in that aspect because I worked with uh, the old school uh, front of the house people. For that reason, I say it's very challenging sometimes for me to adjust and I'm working progress to adjust myself in the new, modern, approachable, fine dining, but approachable experience with a guest. So I learned how to carve fruit, carve fish, carve chicken. And I remember the story of carving chicken was after two years of working with this mentor, this Madre D. One day I never carved before. I was just next to him, right? Like a comedian, assistant. And there was this table of uh, five beautiful girls. And uh, this Madre D, crazy, told me, well, now it's your turn. 
carved the chicken in front of uh, those uh, fire lady. And I was so red in my face. I was very, you know, scared, intimidated, but uh, came up a very good chicken. You know, he coached the chicken to be carved very well. So he came up very good. Everybody was happy. Everybody was laughing. And from there, I really realized it was uh, something I really enjoyed to do it. And carve a home, carve a restaurant from uh, Flambe to Crepe Suzette to Hotel uh, Ricadoni Hotel de la Ville, all those uh, Chateaubriand, all those uh, old school uh, recipe execute in front of the guests. And it was my passion and still be. So people seem to enjoy that. I mean, that's one of the <coughs> things they go to the top for. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, they really enjoy it. They think uh, and they believe it's uh, a unique experience. Um, I think uh, every restaurant can execute the same dish, right? But the most important part of what makes unique is the love you put in carving. It's not just about the carving. It's about how you carve, how you approach uh, to this uh, beautiful piece of art, Geridon. And uh, the work is being done in that dish to be carved in front of the guests is what matter. the technique. Well, and Stephen, Matt and I were just talking about, we went to a, a different restaurant where they presented a, a bone-in ribeye to us and then took it back to the kitchen to carve it. And by the time they carved it, like it had cooled off. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't cold, but it wasn't as hot as it would have been if they had just left it for us to cut. So from your perspective as the chef, I mean, what do you do in the kitchen to ensure that like it, when it, when it, you know, it gets rolled out there and Valeria does his thing, like it still tastes good. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we I mean, we monitor the reservations, honestly, as well. And we cook chickens to as reserved. So we cook a few extra chickens, you know, every night. But for the most part, we monitor the, re monitor the reservations because we don't want to have eight chickens and four steaks all in a row that are all going to go out with a Gary Dawn. So we make sure we time out the reservations. We look at the people that mention that they want the chicken. And we, we do try to time things so that they are going out quickly. Yeah, we, we need to talk about the chicken because it's a whole chicken and it costs what it, it costs a hundred dollars, doesn't it? Ninety. 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 Okay. What what makes a chicken <laughs> right? Like I mean, I know that there's a legitimate answer to this and, and it's reductive of me to, to do this to you, but you know, you can buy a whole chicken at any grocery store for ten bucks. So what is it about your chicken that, that justifies a ninety dollar price tag? That's a great question. I mean, $90 is expensive for a chicken, 100%. If you look around Houston, for sure, for two dishes, even Branzino, which you would think would be $60, $70, you can see around town for $90, $100. Um, so this chick, but this chicken is special. I mean, it's just a large chicken from Pennsylvania. And the way we treat it, with we cook it with great Pinot Noir, steam it inside, you know, braise it with the vegetables. And it's it's not just a small little chicken, you know. It's a large chicken. It can feed two people, but at the same time, we're serving it to PDRs, we're serving it to you know, private events, things like that. I mean, I I should say as someone who has had the opportunity to eat the chicken, it is the most intensely chickeny flavored chicken I think I've ever had. Yeah, it, I mean, that's I mean, it it tastes it tastes like what chicken is supposed to taste like, as opposed to, you know, whatever bland meat-like substance you get from a, a grocery store. Yeah, so to speak on that, you know, obviously you get this great chicken, you get this chicken from Pennsylvania, you dry it out. The first thing you do is you hang it and you dry it. This chicken has 
the it's the best quality chicken and the best diet. That's a vegetarian diet, so obviously all the flavor is in the fat. So you dehydrate or you dry out the chicken, and you make sure that you cook it with all the fat, all the skin whole, and you make sure that all that fat and all that skin is making sure it's represented in the sauce as well. And there you go. When it's roasted, after it's cooked in the red wine, by the time it gets to the dish, when you have the sauce, everything, the whole chicken is represented in that dish. And that's why you get all the flavor of the chicken. What are some of the other signature items? I mean, I, I mean, I think about that cheese souffle that's like so rich and decadent. I mean, what are you, what are you offering at La Tab that, that you are particularly proud of? Well, I'm, I mean, all the dishes are well thought out. As you said, we work with a strong team, so all the dishes are well thought out, recipe tested. It's not just any cheese souffle. We're not just whipping egg whites into anything we want. This recipe has been tested out a million times, and it's everyone has to sign off on it before we put this dish on the menu, and we make sure it's good because we are serving extremely simple food that everyone can relate to, so we just have to make sure the recipes are 100% dialed in and that everyone agrees that it's delicious, that we can roll with this, and then we go from there. And where are the where are the ideas coming from? I mean, are they are they your ideas and you're working with the Invest team, or does Invest like send you an email like, hey, we want you to do X, Y, and Z, or or what's the what's the give and take like? Well, most all of most of our most popular dishes are classic Latab dishes. So those were definitely dishes that Chef Christophe Balanca had come up with um, over time, and those dishes stay on the menu because people really like them. So we have the classic section of the menu, you know, the crab salad, avocado salad, those things don't change. And then we just, the rest of the dishes, the fish dishes, the meat dishes, um, some of the appetizers, some of the pastas, we will just change seasonally. And to answer your question, those dishes are definitely between me, Chef Christoph, we go back and forth, we taste the dishes with the rest of the team, and then we make a decision. And then Valerio, I, I mean, I, I think of Latab is Chateau, the second story of the fine dining space, but you also have Marche, the, the more casual restaurant downstairs. So how do you sort of differentiate those experiences and, and what is, maybe what's different about Marche? Well, over the years, uh, we finally got in the point where uh, we didn't want to differentiate uh, in food-wise or uh, price-wise. You as a guest... If you want to go out of the house very quick or you come out from the gym and you want to stop by to La Table to have uh, the same great food, but in a less formal way, you stop downstairs in Marche where there is a beautiful patio, bakery, a nice informal bistro feeling, and you can have uh, the same uh, great dish at the same price of upstairs in Chateau. And then uh, if you want to if you want to really have uh, a little bit more upscale experience in an upscale environment, then you decide to go to Shadow. But uh, overall, the uh, both department, both concepts are surrounded of the same menu, the same technique with just a little bit more uh, approachability in uh, service-wise and uh, style of uh, ambience. So, so Stephen, you've worked in you've worked in New York uh, quite a bit. You've worked in Houston now for a while. What do you see as kind of the the similarities <coughs> and differences between the two cities? 
Well, New York is changing every day. It's when I was there from 2006 to about 2018, it just changes. It just, this whole landscape of the restaurant industry constantly changes. In 2006, it was kind of the end of extreme fine dining. And then there was this giant wave of casual. And now we're getting, you know, now New York is doing both really well, bringing back a lot of fine dining. So New York is just ever changing every day. Change, change, change. Houston, I'm still learning a lot about it. Um, but I noticed a lot more concept driven restaurants, a lot more. I mean, I don't want to say chains because <coughs> these are great restaurants, but a lot of restaurants that are scalable restaurants that they choose to make one great steakhouse and then they, Hey, guess what? Let's open 10 more. And that kind of seemed what the, the goal is here. Of course you have like Nancy's hustle and places like that, that just seem like it's a great chef trying to do great food with a neighborhood kind of feel, but most of them seem like they're scalable and New York is definitely, they're all one-time restaurants. Well, especially where you guys are near the Galleria. I mean, that's where, that's where chains come to thrive. I mean, you're, you know, realistically, you know, a diner who's thinking about going to the top for the night might also be thinking about, you know, Mastro's or Steak 48 or Nobu or, or, you know, who knows? Um, yes. A hundred cheesecake factory. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So, well, let me, let me put it to you like this. You know, you're, you're competing with these big restaurants and, and maybe for a, like a more food oriented kind of diner, you know, you, you might be competing with, you know, a Nancy Sussler or a Riel or a, something like that. So what do you think it is about fine dining? I mean, at a, at a time when we're all sort of more casual, I mean, you know, I, I am certainly one of those diners where it's got to be a pretty special occasion for me to want to put a, a, a sport coat on or a, a suit on to go dining. What is it about fine dining you think that's still relevant in, in 2020? What I, I mean, again, to go back from New York to Houston, right off the bat in Houston, what makes Latab and fine dining special is that there's just not a lot of it. Like you said, there's Riel, there's Nancy's Hustle. Food ingredients always have to be good. Obviously, the food always has to be good. But when you eat out, as you know, you eat out a lot. I mean, you not a lot of restaurants recognize guests every single time. And so if you want to spend money and you like a place and you want to go there over and over and over again, I mean, Latab, it takes by your second visit, we know who you are. Doesn't matter if you're upstairs or downstairs. We know who you are. We're taking notes on what you like. And every time you come in, we're trying to achieve whatever your goals are. And the, these restaurants, like I said, they're more scalable. They might be expensive. They might be fine dining. But I don't think their main goal is, okay, let's make sure that we recognize every single guest. Let's make sure that every single guest, this is their home. They come back. And that's really, and it's rare in Houston. It's just not, there's not a hundred restaurants like that in Houston. In New York, maybe. There's that many, and you're just constantly competing. But in Houston, it's rare. So supply and demand. If I was a diner in Houston, I would want to go to these rare restaurants that offer something more unique versus keep going to different restaurants, trying new ones all the time. Valerio, well, so, I mean, obviously, you're a big part of that, remembering people's names, making, making diners feel special. Like, what are, what are some of the things that you, you do specifically or you, your team does to, to add to that experience, to make – to make people feel like they're getting a good value when they when they have a fine dining experience. Well, in uh, in uh, my case, uh, I just do what I love to do in a natural way. So I don't prepare myself to go to work and say, "Let me see today what I can do to make the guest special." It comes naturally from myself. What I do with the team uh, and uh, with Steven, uh, you know, uh, 
we are very good on that is the communication with each other in how to push the team to understand what means a team and what means delivery and experience to the guest. There is something you cannot teach and you cannot coach somebody. The, the best part is to try to hire people maybe with the less experience on the floor, but are good people where they are well-trained, uh, willing to train, willing to learn something uh, as we believe is good to deliver it to the guests, and then uh, just be yourself. What I tell to my staff all the, all the times, every day, is uh, just be yourself, get to know your guests, recognize your guests, eyes contact, recognize what they like, and just be yourself. Just make happen a great experience for them. What you will love to be what you would like if you was a guest in a restaurant, in an impeccable restaurant, what you would like to receive. If you walk to a restaurant and you have a gum in your mouth, what's your next step? Bring, right. bring a piece of paper, uh, uh, tissue paper to the guest in a plate so like that you anticipate the guest request of, can I have a piece of paper or uh, where is the bathroom? Right, where do I right. throw this away? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that is uh, all about anticipate the guest's need the guest request, and then the knowledge, uh, of course, the knowledge is very important, and that it's a big part of be surrounded of people where uh, they put, they bring something special to the restaurant in different area, and create an unforgettable experience for the guests. But for me, I mean, I just wake up in the morning and I'm, out, I'm like that outside and inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then uh, Steven with uh, his passion with uh, the food and uh, technique. I mean, we just, uh, we just believe we make a great match and we are happy to work for this company. We believe in uh, details and uh, quality. All right. So, Steven, let me, let me wrap this up with you. What would you like to achieve? I mean, we're at the beginning of 2020 and you have, uh, you, you've gotten back into Latab. You've kind of settled in. Like what? How would you like to see the restaurant kind of evolve over the next year or so? That's a, that's probably the best question of the whole podcast, right? Larry and I talk about this all the time. I've, obviously, we don't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. We definitely plan on doing a few more openings in Houston coming up in the future. And we also are really focusing on the Chateau concept right now and how we can, again, get the name out on the Chateau concept more because – this is something that you have, it's on the second floor. It's not a, you don't walk by it. So for me, what I want is I want to get the name of the Chateau out and I want to do what we spoke about in this podcast and figure out a way to let people know that the Chateau is out there and that it's unique and that, you know, how do we get more people into this place that is maybe seen as a special occasion restaurant? Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably right. So I guess, so the goal then is to, is to make it more of a, a weeknight, you know, business dinner, date night. I mean, that, that's kind of your goal, right? That's, that's who you're trying to sort of draw in. Yeah, I don't want to say how do we get more foot traffic, but that's what we want. We want people to come in and walk by and just be able to sit at Chateau and be able to experience Chateau without having it be someone's anniversary or birthday. And uh, that's what we're going to work on, you know, in the short term. And you can, you can come in, for men, you can come in without a jacket. You, it's okay, you'll, you'll feel all right. Well, definitely for uh, for uh, lunch, uh, we are starting to be more uh, flexible. Yeah. Right? Definitely. For dinner, it's a very tricky situation. 
because you have uh, the high class uh, people in Houston where uh, they expect to walk in and have a specific environment and people be dressed in a specific way. But also you want to be having uh, access to, you know, new generation, the, the young generation where uh, they want, they are knowledgeable with food, but they want to have a fun night and they don't want to think too much how they dress, right? Right. It's it's a weird, we're in a weird kind of fashion moment, right? Where a, a yeah. pair of jeans can cost $300 and, and you know, that, that sweatshirt that you're wearing might be, might be $300. So, you know, it's, it's as much as uh, a button down slacks, but it, it doesn't look the part in the same way, or it doesn't conform to sort of traditional standards of what constitutes formal dress, I guess. Yeah. I think for um, how much I'm stick and stuck with the old school style of um, fine dining, I think is the moment to adjust in a lot of situation with the modern style of approach in restaurant business, where uh, even in Europe, the old school fine dining, they start to be more approachable. But doesn't mean approachability, doesn't mean uh, change your standard or your uh, style of cooking or uh, your style of presentation. It's just a matter of how you approach with the guests and how you make them feel. Very good. All right. Well, gentlemen, before I let you go, I have to subject you to the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. <coughs> just say the first thing that comes to mind. Stephen Conklin, what is your favorite cookbook? Uh, the French Laundry Cookbook. Valerio Lombardozzi, what is your favorite cookbook? Or a cookbook that you I have several, but um, I think normally I like to, to read about wine or um, Acurio from uh, Peru. I love his book. I love his uh, philosophy, and I like uh, read the books about him. Stephen, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Ziggy Marley. That's a solid answer. Valeria, how about you? Second day question. Well, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, uh, it was uh, an Italian uh, rock singer, which is uh, Vasco Rossi. Very classic in uh, Italy. And uh, that was my first concert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Valerio, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through Oh, my gosh. What a burger. <laughs> Stephen, how about you? This is going back years. I haven't eaten fast food in a long time, but Carl's Jr., for sure. All right. And then, Stephen, I always ask people for their favorite Houston <coughs> sports figure, past or present. Have you have you been here long enough to, to have one? Oh, I'm a huge sports fan. Huge. I mean, <coughs> by far, Hakeem Olajuwon. Valerio, how about you? Do you have a favorite Houston athlete? Yeah, I had the couple. I mean, I, I'm um, an old retired boxer, so definitely I like uh, boxing. And I have a couple of people, Houstonian, where uh, they are well-known in uh, boxing. Uh, boxing. Uh, All right, give, it, give us a name. Huh? Give us a name. Well, I like uh, Luis Avarese. Okay. And uh, Lee Canalido in the old school. Uh, both great boxer, great uh, heavyweights. And uh, that's it. Yeah, Luis Severis has been on, Michael, he's been on the station before, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. And then uh, <clears throat> finally, Stephen, what is your go-to pizza order? What are, your, what are your favorite toppings? Mushrooms and onions. Valeria, how about you? 
prožuto je rugola? Yes, absolutely. Uh, gentlemen, give us the, the website and the social media and all that for Latab. And, and we should be clear, it's, it's not La Table. Like, please don't call it La Table. No, How often do people call it <clears throat> La Table? Um, 99% of the times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But it's called uh, La Table. Yeah. La Table? La Table. So I've been mispronouncing it the whole show. You're, you're very kind not to scold me. <laughs> um, give us the website and the, and the uh, social media for La Table. Uh, social media is... Um, La Table Houston. Oh. Yeah, La Table Houston. Okay. And then the, the website, I think, is also La Table Houston. Yes, correct. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank awesome. you, Eric. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, I appreciate your comments and your ratings, but like Katie Nolan says, only if they're five stars and only if they're nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.